Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, a podcast that's all about comic book movies, which you can find at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm Joe Cunningham, and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... I'm on Warman. And Caroline Zeta. Uh, yeah, so we have two guests today for this um, bonus episode, um, which is actually going to be focusing on the Marvel and Netflix show Luke Cage Season 1. Um, it's going to be a spoiler-filled discussion from the start. Um, so take note of that if you haven't watched all of the episodes yet. Um, but yeah, two special guests, Amon and Caroline. And Caroline, you have become our Netflix expert. Um, so you you are kind of here every, every time we discuss these shows. It's true. It's, it's a good gig. Yeah. And, and as well, we'll repeat this um, every time you're on. But if people want to read your reviews of uh, this show and of the other Netflix shows, they should head to the AV Club where you do the binge watch reviews. Yep, and almost kill myself every time, but especially this time. <laughs> I review all 13 episodes in a weekend, and it, it gets a little difficult by the end. Yeah, I it took me, a, I mean, and I normally get through these shows pretty quick. It took me, until basically now, that's why this episode's only just turning up now, because I didn't get around to watching them until, or finishing them until the last week or so. Um, but I'm on, James obviously um, watched all these episodes because he went and did our he went and did the um interviews with den of geek which he kindly shared on the podcast as well um but he said he was basically luke caged out and hey look amon's been talking about this show an awful lot why don't we get him on so it's great that we've got you here to discuss this show as well and i guess i guess it's a, a good place to start would be um asking you particularly what you've thought of this show, how how many of the boxes it ticked for you, and um, I, I guess probably where it ranks for you uh, with uh, amongst the Netflix Marvel Universe right now. Yeah, no, I was really, really, really excited for Luke Cage for a number of reasons. Um, the introduction that he gave to the character in Jessica Jones I thought was great. Uh, I was solved after after that bar fight scene in the episode 2, I believe, with Jessica Jones. And mm-hmm. so um, in addition to that, and then hearing that uh, Chio Hodari Koko was going to be the showrunner, and then the, the cast, which was uh, predominantly black, which, you know, is a rare thing for uh, a Marvel product or really any 
product which has this many eyes on it. So all, all that going into the show and then also the trailers as well, which I thought were great. I was very excited for. And I think overall, um, it's a really good series. Um, the, the title character I think has done very well. I think, uh, probably the best thing about it is the show's female characters. There's three female characters who are really, really well drawn and really, really well acted. Um, it's a little frustrating that, cause I, I really wanted to love it and I, I can't quite say that I do. I think the first sort of six, seven episodes are really, really, really great. Um, for me, it falls off quite a bit in the latter half and that's because of the introduction of Diamondback. Um, I don't think it's handled <laughs> very well. I've seen some of your tweets to that. And I'm sure we're going to, we're, we're going to come to it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's in some ways it's a tale of, uh, two halves. Uh, say the first seven episodes are great. The latter half isn't as good, um, at all as, a, as the early half. But I still think overall it's, it's really, really great. And there's, there's lots of things which it does very well. The music, uh, the acting, the, the feel for Harlem, which I think, um, you, you get more of a feel for Harlem than, than you do for Hell's Kitchen, at least, uh, from my, my perspective. And I think, yeah. um, you know, that, that is a major strength of the show as well. And I'm sure we'll get into, um, sort of, the, the minutia of, of, of things that it doesn't do well, um, as well as things which it does really impressively. But as I say, overall, I think I, I really enjoyed it. Caroline, are you as enthusiastic as someone? Yeah, I'm actually in pretty much exactly the same boat. I had super high expectations going in. I thought that early trailer they released was super great. Um, the cast is incredible. And I think because my expectations were so high, I do... I think just like I'm on, like I, I overall, I really liked it, but it is hard not to focus on sort of the negatives, especially because they come in the mm. second half of the season. So it's sort of like what you're remembering. Um, but I actually think it's pretty similar to both Daredevil and Jessica Jones in that it starts out really strong and sort of tapers out by the end. But overall, my experience of it was very positive, and, and I think the things that I liked overall sort of outweighed the things that I didn't like about it. Oh, now I'm going to be the grumpy one. <laughs> when are you not the grumpy one, Joe? <laughs> well, on the episode that we did, on, on our Doctor Strange episode, oh, that listeners boy. will have heard. So I would have at least got to be the positive one there. Um, I, I can't disagree with a lot of the stuff that you're talking about in terms of the individual elements. Stuff like... Yeah, the, it's it's sense of place in Harlem, the music, the and and the kind of the tone that that music creates. Um, I liked a lot of the characters. Um, I thought Mike Coulter's Luke Cage is great. Um, Simone Missick's Misty Knight. Um, Mah- is it Mahershala Ali's uh, Cottonmouth? Big fan. And there's uh, yeah, there's there's lots of individual elements of the show that I like. It just doesn't feel like it comes together ultimately, and I, I I thought the pacing was a problem the whole way through. I thought the first two or three episodes, while there was a lot of stuff in there that I liked, it it felt like it felt like a tough show to get through. And while I could kind of enjoy an individual scene, I would find my attention kind of waning ac- across the course of an episode. And then just some kind of simple stuff like the internal logic of the show. Like, I didn't always believe where the characters were supposed to... Where the the show was telling me characters were emotionally, I didn't always believe. And I thought, given that 
one of the characters is a police officer, the way that it shows the police in action is laughable in its believability. Um, like something like Misty Knight saying to her to her boss, I just got shot in the arm by that guy. She's like, we haven't got time to discuss this right now, Misty. <laughs> But I'm a cop, and I'm telling you, that guy shot... No, 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 we're, we're, we have to focus on Luke Cage right now. Okay. Um, <laughs> and um, I, I think it suffers from a lot of the problems that the other Marvel shows do as well. Um, and yes, the the big issue is Diamondback <laughs> being the villain in the second half. Because just at the point at which you think oh, Cottonmouth is getting really interesting and it's kind of interesting to view him through the lens of a kingpin-type figure, but one who is um, even faster losing a grip on his empire than than um, Kingpin did and how is he going to fight back and what masterstrokes is he going to pull to keep a, keep a hold on it. He's gone. And Carolina was reading your AV, Reclub, AV Club review of that particular episode and you were like, oh, and what's really smart here is that they've obviously switched up who the main villain is and now we're going to find out that um alfred woodard's character is the is the main villain instead um mariah and yeah. i think ultimately that's where the show leads but it, it kind of needed to happen then like it felt like oh yes she is the main villain except then we have to wait another well until the next season comes around i guess because we have to spend six or seven episodes with Diamondback, who is just the worst. The worst. Yeah, he's bad, and and (laughs) he's he's not great on a performance level, and I also think it just gets really sort of thematically murky, too, because you have the first half of the season is sort of, like, looking at Harlem as a whole, and, like, here's the criminal element, and here's the communal element, and here's how Luke Cage sort of fits into it all, and um, you know, here's Mariah trying to reform the city one way, and here's Cottonmouth trying to do it the other way. And then all of a sudden, with with Diamondback, it becomes this, like, origin story for Luke Cage. Not even, like, his powers, but sort of his family life and his past. And, and that is just this massive coincidence that somehow Diamondback is sort of involved with the criminal element. And also luke cage's half-brother it just got really messy and it sort of felt like i didn't i didn't need to be exploring luke cage's family maybe that's something for another season but you had it had such a strong thematic through line in the first half and then that all sort of just like went away because it sort of half was still about that but half was about his family and yeah it was just a mess goes into the church and kind of remembers and then goes oh yeah he is my brother yeah, that was oh. so strange. <laughs> it's very it's just, strange. The, the, the entire subplot is just done far too quickly. And it's annoying because I feel like if you had done like a slow build to that reveal, it could have really been powerful and effective. But if it had been bedded into the first half of the season. Exactly. Mm-hmm. At all. Exactly. But, but, but then the family stuff seems interesting with Mariah and Cottonmouth in the first half. Yeah. Actually, I really liked... I kind of wanted it to be maybe a little bit less simplistic than a one-episode flashback to those two characters as kids. Um, but I still found that dynamic of Mariah and Cottonmouth and how that had shaped the people they'd become kind of interesting. And it's <laughs> And then instead in the second half, we're looking at Luke Cage's family, which seems like it's been plucked out of thin air and doesn't seem as thematically relevant as these two kind of characters who have been in Harlem all their life. It's, it's these two outsiders. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it, and it, and it didn't hugely work for me. Um, I said that Diamondback might be worse than Enchantress in terms of comic book films. <laughs> I saw, I saw that, and I was just like, no, 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 no. no yeah, no. I don't think so. Because he Diamondback didn't ever did do not a dance. weird dance. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that alone elevates him. Yeah, yeah, I suppose he did spout a, a lot of one-liners though, and um, he did seem to be fundamentally terrible at killing Luke Cage. Um, I have a big problem with the Judas bullet, by the way. There is a scene midway through this season where um, Mariah is talking to um, Cottonmouth and she's saying, and he's saying, well, we can't kill him. His skin is bulletproof. She says, well, have you tried drowning him? Have you tried poisoning him? What about all these other things? And I'm like, oh, that is... that." That could be interesting to do something rather than just firing a bazooka at a building in the middle of Harlem and then carrying on like that's just a thing that happens. Um, so I was like, okay, that might be an interesting way. And then it's like, nope, Judas Bullet. And so I don't know. I found it really disappointing that this guy with bulletproof skin, it's just how oh, we came up with a better bullet. Yeah. I think the show sort of sets up a lot of. It sets up so many interesting things. So it sets up, oh, Mariah, she's sort of, you know, Cottonmouth, he's like the, the hyper-masculine guy, so he just wants to use weapons, but she's sort of, like, cunning in a different way, so she's going to, you know, use poison or something. So that's an interesting idea. And then you have, like the like you said, the flashbacks to Mariah and Cottonmouth's childhood. Oh, that's really interesting. Or, like, the relationship and flashback between Reva and Luke. Oh, that's interesting. But then it never goes back to any of those. It sort of just, like, keeps dropping them. So it's weird, because while I'm watching it, I found all those very engaging, because you sort of don't know what's coming, but then when you look back on the season, it, you sort of realize how many things they left hanging. Yeah. Now, I, I sort of get what you're saying, Joe, when it comes to the Judas Bullet. I'm not sure uh, how soon after um, Cottonmouth talks to Mariah and Mariah says, su- suggests all these, all those things to the time uh, when uh he learns about the Judas bullet. Um, and I sort of get sort of learning about the Judas bullet. You want to, as soon as he finds out about that, you want to try it out on Luke Cage. That's fine. But why bring up, uh, why have that Mariah scene in there? If you're not going to do anything with it, do it. Yeah. Um, I, I think I just didn't need that to be part of the show regardless. And, and the fact that that then spins off from them, going back to Georgia for some more origin story stuff. And now I really liked the origin story episode. I think it's episode four, isn't it? Where we flash back to Seagate prison. And um, I liked that. I thought it was a nice change of pace at that point in the season. Um, I thought that was the kind of stuff that I wanted to know about Luke Cage. Like what kind of person was he before? How did he meet Reva? Um, And I really liked that that character um, and that thread from Luke Cage uh, from Jessica Jones was transplanted into Luke Cage. Um, and that's the stuff that I wanted to know about him. And I also wanted to know more about his kind of like, um, his past, uh, like in law enforcement as well. Um, what I didn't particularly need later in the season was to dig into the kind of the pseudoscience of how his body worked. And cause it was just like, he's a bulletproof guy. That's, that's all I need right now. And it felt like kind of, a little bit like all of the stuff with Nuke at the back end of Jessica Jones, kind mm-hmm. of like mm. s- stuff that was a little bit superfluous to the actual story we were th- the show was telling, mm. but was like leaving the door open to do more silly comic book stuff down the road. And we get that here, don't we, with Diamond back in the mm. uh, in the hospital at the end? Yeah. 
And oh god, I did not need a hint that that character might come back. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say we 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 can't we can't mention the origin episode without talking about Luke Cage's hair. Oh yes, yeah, my yeah, goodness, fantastic. it's beautiful. <laughs> So awesome. Um, yeah, and certainly a lot. In that episode. <laughs> he's, he's really good in that episode as well, like showing a different version of that character. Because it's, it's a very laid back performance from Luke Cage. And mm-hmm. also there was that article uh, from Luke Cage, from Mike Coulter. I saw that article that, that um, was going around the internet about um, uh, how surprising it was that for the first black superhero, he's such a kind of like a conservative hero um mm. and that he he isn't kind of like all action he isn't wanting to throw himself into every situation blindly he's kind of sitting back and letting things happen to him a lot of the time and i thought that um yeah mike Holtz is really good at playing those different shades of that character but also getting also able to switch into that all action mode when he needs to he's, um, he's... and just physically he's a he's a fantastic specimen isn't he what a... <laughs> yeah He's, yeah. You, you absolutely <laughs> believe that that guy could be bulletproof. <laughs> yeah, I spent the majority of the time just, like, I just really want him to hug me. Like, <laughs> not even in, like, a romantic or sexual way. I just feel like getting a hug from my culture would be so, like, comforting. Because he could just really, just really wrap around you. <laughs> really now, he's he's really good at sort of uh, at playing that side of the character. But i got to say, at a certain point, the sort of, the, the constant... Uh, flip flopping of Luke Cage did begin to bother me. Like, at the, I mean, I, I get that sort of, you know, you start off the journey as reluctant and, you know, it works for the origin story. It works for the early few episodes, but there's like in episode 10, I think he's still having doubts about well, why, why should it be me to sort of go and do and, and be a hero. And at that point in the series, you know, it felt, it felt like, like it, he'd embraced it. It felt like exactly. It felt like he he'd accepted sort of you know the hero responsibility a few episodes back. So for him to sort of go back to that, um, you know, at that point in the series, it did, did bother me a little bit. What do you guys think? I, I thought there was that. That kind of reminds me of a, a few of the other problems that the show has because it, it feels to me like it it was constantly flip flopping as well in terms of. Um, what the public thought about Luke Cage and suddenly, you know, the, the, like the way that Mariah was supposed to be manipulating things through the press or the way that Diamondback was doing stuff to make Luke Cage look bad or the police look bad or vice versa. And at, at one point there, w- there was a point in the episode where the cop has beaten up the kid, um, where Mariah is turning everyone against the cops, and that's supposed to be in a way as well turning people against Luke Cage. But I thought we were turning people against Luke Cage because he'd thrown a cop through a windscreen, and I just I couldn't work out what the show was doing at a bunch of times with that. And for I, I mean that that felt to me certainly in terms of the kind of the political relevance of a show like Luke Cage you know, in a year where the Black Lives Matter movement is happening and where the show at times seemed to be leaning into stuff like that with, um, especially at the end in my favourite thing about the series, which, Amon, I'm sure you're going to talk about with Method Man and the, <laughs> the bullet bullet hole hoodies. I might mention um, it. Some of this, <laughs> I, I, I kind of wanted it to lean into that iconography and it, it didn't... 
and sometimes it's saying it was it was saying stuff uh, like out loud and making it very on the nose um and but then other times getting really confused in its message so that was frustrating to me and i kind of wanted i wanted the whole show to be stuff like method man singing a song about or rapping about <laughs> luke cage that then that then becomes like something that the people on the streets of harlem take up and I would have liked that to have translated into something a little bit more powerful than some guys, some people gathering on the street and going, go on, Luke, go on. <laughs> now, it's it's really, it's interesting in, in with Luke Cage because I think it's quite, it, even throughout the whole show, it's quite heavy-handed. It gets super heavy-handed in the final episodes. But, you know... There's, there's a lot of times where it's being heavy-handed, and it really worked for me. Like the bit um, yeah. in, in episode five, uh, which is by far my favorite episode of the series. I think I think that's when it peaked for me, um, and that's when uh, uh, the episode ends with the uh, with, 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 with Pop's funeral, and he's doing mm-hmm. his and, yes. and he's doing this big speech. That's heavy-handed, but it really landed for me. The, the method, yeah. the, the method man bit, heavy-handed, but man, did it land for me. Even the the final episode of the season where he's doing that speech uh, to the cops at the end, very heavy-handed, but it really landed for me. It's just, I think that it's more the stuff with the villain and also, you know, the that that, that big fight um, between Darren Back and him at the end was really, it did make me cringe quite a bit. When it, when, mm-hmm. when, when people start, uh, Luke, Luke is just, yeah, very cringeworthy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, and I think it's, it's, more, it's more with the villain that the corniness and the very sort of you know it goes from you know show don't tell to telling not showing in very very quickly and in, in, in very in, in a very big way and i think that was a fault of the series especially in the final few episodes it really um you know took that to the nth degree yeah i think for the most part i think for the most part the show did a good job of sort of using certain bits of iconography and certain heightened things, like intentionally heightened things um, really well. Like I think just the image of having Luke Cage in the hoodie is really powerful Mm. um, even before you get into the Method Man stuff. But I do agree with you, Joe, that the specific like subplot, it's really only in one episode, but you have Mariah sort of um, riling up the, the community in a sort of, I, I think what she's trying to say is like, we need to, focus on arming the police in order to stop Luke Cage and other superheroes and the protests sort of used Black Lives Matter iconography which is confusing because Black Lives Matter is so specifically about disarming the police so I thought that that one particular subplot was was really messy and slightly unfortunate but I think as a whole I like the way the series tackled that stuff um and I also think I like I think you're right in that that there are a lot of different reactions to Luke Cage in the city. But I think, for me at least, the show did a good job of saying, like, the city as a whole and the police department as a whole is a little unsure of what to do with Luke. But he is very much Harlem's hero, so the locals really support him. It actually reminded me a lot of the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies where you sort of have, like, you know, he's New York's hero and they're rallying around him even if... Other people aren't so sure what to make of him. So I didn't even mind, like, the people chanting Luke at the end. That sort of, like, got me. I didn't <laughs> I didn't mind that so much, even though it's so on the nose. Really um, but I also really liked the scene where you have the one cop. It's towards the end, and Luke's on the run, and you have one cop that stops him, and then yes, he ends up yeah. letting him go, and he's like, there are people that are on your side. I thought that was a great mm. moment of, like, 
there there is a mixed reaction to Luke, but the, particularly the people that understand Harlem and sort of know him and know Pops, like they're on his side. So I sort of like when the show dug into those complications. Yeah, I think I think my problem with the show. And and this is in a way I think it made me look back at previous Marvel shows and and kind of see a lot of the drones there as well though it's it's that there are scenes like that occasionally that I'm like I, I really enjoy but it almost feels at times like these Marvel shows are being specifically designed for you to watch them while you're doing something else yeah. Uh, because because it you you'll get a scene like that, but then you feel like you have to wade through another ten or fifteen minutes of character beats that you already know, or um, kind of just just sitting around and characters talking about stuff that relates to what's going on, but it doesn't really drive anything forward. Um, and I think why that's particularly shown up in the second half of the show is. And I think this might apply to a lot of Marvel shows, but I think Luke Cage the most in that all they have lots of really good characters in there that you like, but not so many great character relationships. And so in the back half, if you don't invest in Luke and Diamondback in in the way that the show wants you to do, which I think has been a problem for even people who like the show more... I mean, Luke is pretty disconnected from Misty. At that point, Misty doesn't really feel like that she is tied to another character in the show. It feels like she's a strong character, but she's being bounced around among the other characters. And there's no real... As as I got towards the end of the show, and I wasn't... I like Rosario Dawson, I like Claire Temple. I wasn't hugely um, invested in um, in, in that relationship. Certainly not compared to the way I was between... Luke and Jessica in Jessica Jones. Um, so I really felt that towards the end of the series, I was watching characters that I liked, but not particularly interested in any of the major interactions. And I feel like I could have been um, if, I don't know, if Cottonmouth would have been kept around. That was the thing. Cottonmouth and Mariah in the first half. Luke and Cottonmouth. Luke having more to do with Misty. Um, Misty having Scarf to bounce off of. And in the second half... It all feels a little bit loose and disconnected and like there isn't really a driving force in terms mm. of those relationships. The second half is is, is in some ways I, I like what they're trying to do. In some ways it's just really poorly written. Um, like they had, <laughs> I always come back to the bit where Diamondback, he kills a cop and then he just starts yelling, I'm Luke Cage while I'm in the hoodie. And I'm just like, that was maybe who the funniest thought this was a good idea? I've ever seen. <laughs> the way that actor played it, too. I'm Luke Cage! That was so unintentionally hilarious to me. It's like, who thought that was a good idea? And then even though, I, I think, um, by the way, Simone Missick is really, really great um, as Misty yes. Knight. And I hope she gets a lot more work after this. I'm sure she will, because uh, she's fantastic. But there's a episode, I can't remember what episode it is, but she's uh, stuck in an interrogation room for the entire episode. And it feels like it belongs on a Misty Knight solo show. It feels like a pilot for a Misty Knight. It, it doesn't feel, it's not driving anything. It's, it's, it's very interesting looking to the mindset of Misty, but that's not really doing anything. I, I agree with you in that, um, that subplot where Luke and, uh, Claire, uh, who has the superhero power of delivering the pep talk, the right pep talk at the right time. Um, <laughs> uh, just go to Georgia or whatever um, to you know, figure out more about it. It just slows everything down. And I think 
was part, part of the reason why I didn't really enjoy season two, um, season two or the second half of season one as much. But I think that the Netflix shows have a way of doing that, though, don't they? Of taking, of just slowing things down for one episode and maybe doing a flashback. The, I mean, my favorite episode of season one of Daredevil and probably of all of the Netflix shows is the kingpin focused episode. I think it's like episode seven or eight in the first episode, first season of uh, Daredevil, mm-hmm. and those episodes can really work um i think the re- the reason that that episode with misty didn't work in this and i was so surprised that it didn't because i loved that character i think she might be my favorite character in the show um i just didn't buy her emotional state at that point i didn't buy that that was the thing that would have flipped her to that point um just losing her gun to diamondback it felt like we'd already seen her go through just as much stuff and it didn't it also didn't feel like the straw that broke the camel's back either. I, I was just watching this episode going, I mean, I really like this character, but uh, this, I'm not buying this. Hmm. But, yeah, yeah, it I- wasn't, I agree that that moment where she lost the gun was sort of odd, but I guess it just depends on sort of what you want from these shows. Cause I actually am not, I'm not a person who cares a ton about plot. I'm really like character driven in what I watch. So I sort of didn't mind that this show was, even in the first half, or especially in the first half, I didn't mind that it was so slowly paced and that there's really, like, not a ton of action in it, and a lot of it is just character scenes. I kind of liked that about it, and I think that early on I sort of decided that this was less Luke Cage's show than sort of, like, this version of Harlem show. So I think once I started thinking about it as an ensemble show, it bothered me less when it's sort of like, here's a Misty subplot that's not fully tied in, and here's, you know, a Claire storyline that's not fully tied in. I sort of just watched it as this, like, Harlem-centric ensemble drama, (laughs) and sort of, which isn't, you know, admittedly, that's not what it's sold as. It's sold as a Luke Cage superhero show, so I understand why that's, like, a difficult thing for some people to, like, get on board with. But for me, I I sort of didn't mind the more character-based Harlem drama stuff. I think for me, it would just, it it would have just been nice if those character-based things were, that the interesting characters seemed like they had crossover between them like by the end of the Mm -hmm. season it felt like mariah and luke hadn't shared a scene in 10 11 episodes Mm. um and that really that they weren't that concerned with each other and when they all did come into that room at the start of the 13th episode which by the way follows we go straight into a flashback at the start of that episode which is like oh hey this is some context between these two characters and what they were like when they were growing up and now they're gonna fight it's like really you're showing me that just before they're about to fight (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah. is, is that not information that you should have imparted on me earlier in the season or should you have maybe sold this relationship a bit better earlier in the season um, and yeah I think that was the issue for me was that as much as I liked the characters that the relationships between them were non-existent um, and I wanted my interesting characters together and that's that's again that's not something that I really feel like um, uh, Daredevil and Jessica Jones have had as much of a problem with Um but yeah, that could just be me being miserable about this show. <laughs> but we could, I, could, I mean, I, I could try and flip this and talk about some of the some of the stuff that I did like. Um, and like I say, it comes it comes down to kind of like individual little elements. Um, like uh, oh, so many of the cast members I liked. But Amon, do you want to talk about the music? Because the music running through this and kind of culminating in that Method Man track is um, 
fantastic. From the trailer onwards, I would say, with Wu-Tang Clan in the first trailer, all the way to Method Man in the final episode of the series, they get the music so spot on. Yep, yeah, they do. I mean, even even the needle, the, excuse me, the, the needle drops are fantastic. Another reason why episode five is my favorite. I love um, the long live long live the chief song by Jadena to start the episode. And the way that they sort of have that playing and, and then mix that in with the footage to start the episode, with Cottonmouth watching the performance in his club is fantastic. Um, and, and they get the, they get the needle drops so right. Um, but yeah, I mean, literally you, you could just say Luke Cage is worth it for having Method Man be a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and just leave it at that, <laughs> really. Um, you know, that, that I, I listened to that. I'm, I've listened to that track a number of times now. Um, it, but it's it's a really great scene, a really powerful moment uh, in the series. Um, just having that montage of um, black people in, in bulletproof hoodies while that track is playing was really, really quite something to see. Um, but That's what yeah, I wanted the whole show to be. I wanted the whole show to be that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the the the, the score itself as well by. Um, I think Ali Shahid Muhammad and a name, another person which I'm forgetting, uh, that's shameful, um, uh, is also, is also really great and, you know, really well embedded into, into the show. Um, yeah, I was just trying to Google it for you to, uh, uh, Adrian Young. Thank you very much. Name. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I really liked as well the, uh, the nightclub, which, um, I mean, the, I think the show maybe was, uh, it could have done with like one or two more sets. Like it felt like we were going back mm-hmm. to um, Mariah's house a little bo- a little more often than we should have done. Um, she really I needs did... better locks, by the way. I really, really liked the club. Yeah, no, the club is really, it's a really cool setting. Really well, cool it's, setting. It's nice. It's nice as a setting. It, um, it's a good way to kind of have all those characters have a place to um, cross over in that first episode where, you know, you've got the meeting upstairs and you've got Misty coming in undercover and you've got Luke working as the dishwasher. Um, but then as an excuse to play live music from, I'll be honest, I'm very, very white and I didn't know an awful lot of this music before it started. But, uh, it's okay, Joe, I've forgiven you. <laughs> But the, and, and so, like, uh, it, for me, it was more a case of, after an episode, Googling who the acts were on stage um, rather than recognising them or anything like that. But I loved that the music was woven into it like that. And it also... It was also a nice grace note because the more you get to know Cottonmouth and the more you find out about his love of music and you kind of... It makes sense that although he is a criminal, um, that his base of operations would be this nightclub in Harlem where he can kind of indulge in his actual passion at the same time as going going around doing the doing the crime lord kind of stuff so yeah I thought all of, all of that was great um, and again I think I don't, I don't know why the show was so intent on losing Cottonmouth for um, for Diamondback it just it feels like you could have done a full season with with Cottonmouth still around and slowly showing Mariah loosen his grip and get a get a better grip herself. I uh, yeah, I'm, absolutely. I'm, he's I'm, so I'm he's so good. I love Cotton. I thought Cottonmouth was one of the best. I mean, I guess these Marvel these Netflix villains are always great, but I thought he was so good and he was so different. 
then, like, at first I was like, oh, he feels like a kingpin knockoff, but then, like, very quickly he became his own thing hmm. that I just found so compelling. I think the reason he feels like a kingpin knockoff is because kind of one of the first big introductory scenes or big flashy scenes they give him is beating a guy to death with his bare Yeah. Mm. And that's exactly what they did with Kingpin. And this is a show, I think I mentioned this on um, our, a previous episode of the podcast where we briefly discussed the Netflix shows. It does feel mm. like they've got boxes to tick in... I mean, the Marvel Studios movies have a template that they kind of work around, but it almost feels like the Netflix shows have kind of, like, scenes that they have to hit. And so there has to now be a hallway fight, and there has to be some horrible display of violence from the villain in the first three or four episodes. And I I, I, I struggled, I think, with the first three, because I was starting to see, like, oh, I've, I mean, I've seen that three times already. This is the fourth time I've seen it. I don't need to see it again. And so... Um, I think it took me a little bit of time to warm to Cottonmouth because you're right, he feels like once you get to know that character and I think on a second watch you would find that character even more rich by knowing the stuff that you know about his backstory in the first couple of episodes but it took me time to yeah appreciate the character and appreciate the performance because it felt like something I'd seen before even though it probably wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a certain sort of kindness to him. Like, he has a temper, and he can sort of lash out at people. But there's also times, like, especially with Shades, where, mm-hmm. where Cottonmouth yeah. will sort of, like, admit that he's wrong or just be, like, like a chill dude. And that's, like, a really... That was interesting to me, because I think Kingpin would go from being, like, having this temper to sort of being very shy and awkward. But Cottonmouth just feels like a guy... Like, he feels like a guy who got sort of trapped in the system and trapped as this Kingpin and didn't really want to do it and is sort of maybe genuinely... Like, there is some genuine kindness in him. And I really liked the way they let that come out. And he felt like a big... He kind of felt like a teenager to me. And, like, the way he would sort of, like... Like, when they first watched the Judas Bullet in, like, a YouTube video of someone exploding. And the way he sort of, like, laughs in response to that was just so much to me. How, like, you know, you're watching dumb YouTube videos with your friends. And you sort of, like, laugh at ridiculous things or over-the-top things. Like, there, I don't know. There was a lot of vulnerability there that I found so compelling. And then I think that that's, none of that is there in Diamondback. Like he's just a totally one note over the top villain. And so it's, you just don't care about him in the same way at all. And it's a weird way to go with that character. When you're, when your thing that you're going to reveal about him is he's the half brother of Luke who is driven by, um, kind of familial jealousy. Um, it's a weird way to try and t- to choose to depict that character when that's what you're going to reveal is his 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 motivation, uh, because I don't know. I never bought them as brothers. I never bought that backstory. I just now nah, he's a nutter. He's probably made it up. <laughs> it's just it's just far too quickly done. It's just, it's a shame because I could I could see I could see it working if you know it was a slow burn if they spent more time on it and sort of revealed it step by step. But they revealed that, like, literally, the, in the episode where Diamondback is introduced, Diamondback reveals that they are brothers. Um, and that just sort of came really out of left field and was very jarring. Well, he just kind of says it, doesn't it? It doesn't it? Well, I think it takes him a while to even say that he is Diamondback, which is weird because mm. we've, ha- we've been having Diamondback kind of referred to during the first half of the show. And then he turns up as just this guy shooting at Luke on the street, and you're like, oh, I guess he's another lackey who's been sent after him with a gun. And then he's like, I'm Diamondback, in the same <laughs> way that he says, I'm Luke Cage. Um, 
and and yeah, and then and then weirdly we find out he's his brother, but the, or we he says, "Oh, I'm your brother," but you don't know whether to take it on face value or or whatever. And then we go back and have to have that flashback to confirm it, which again felt like a really weird way to confirm it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the the problem is that it's presented as this big twist, like, "Oh, this person that you that you thought was just your childhood best friend is actually your brother." But the problem is we find out that Luke had a childhood best friend in the same. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Episode that we find out that the childhood mm. best friend is his brother. So it's not, a, like, it's a twist for Luke, but it's not a twist for us. We're just presented with two pieces of information. So it doesn't feel... You know, if we had if we had known that Luke had this best friend and he had talked about him in the prison flashback and this had been a big part of the story, then it would have felt like a reveal for us too. But it just feels like, oh, okay, here's a new person. Oh, okay, he's his half-brother. Like, we didn't even know if he had any siblings. So it just, yeah, it's just really mishandled in terms of how they present that information. It, it feels like a case of not planning ahead. And I wonder whether that's a problem that a lot of these Netflix shows have. Um, we were talking off mic about some um, Defenders speculation. And you were saying, Caroline, you were like, I don't think they were thinking about that way back then. I don't think they were thinking <laughs> yeah. about the De- Defenders and Daredevil season two. Um, which is fair because you kind of feel like that they have the same problem within the show. Like, I, I there was rumours that I think um, Iron Fist at one point was going to be coming earlier than Luke Cage but basically Iron Fist they were having problems with breaking the second half of the season it's like what what does that mean have, have you not planned the full season when you're when you're starting out do you not have a, a basic idea about character arcs and, and the plot and where where you want to take this character and this story over the course of these 13 episodes um, and it, it feels it feels very much the case here that it doesn't it doesn't always know where it wants to take a character or what it wants to do with them and just on a basic level it feels like we we end episodes with cliffhangers that i i, I don't know all of the netflix shows is a problem with this that a cliff we we end two consecutive episodes at one point in the season 
with Luke Cage being shot by a Judas bullet and him falling <laughs> yeah. down dead or, or seemingly in a lot of trouble and oh, how's Luke going to survive? And then the next episode just picks back up with him kind of standing up and carrying on. And like, fool me once. <laughs> <laughs> and there's also that weird stuff with the kind of like the the flashback kind of... the weird. They do some weird stuff with like putting the start of episodes... The end of episodes at the start of, I think it's like episode two, three, um, that they play around with the timeline when Luke is going to storm that building um, and having the kid holding the gun to his head. Um, Yeah, I liked that one, though. I thought that I agree with your other the other like pacing problems, but I thought that one was pretty cool. I agreed. What was going on? I didn't know what was going on. That might have been the problem. (laughs) (laughs) That 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 leads me to sort of bring up something we haven't really discussed yet, but the the action in Luke Cage I thought is mostly well done and um, of course the, the hallway fight is is really really cool uh, with Bring the Rockets as a soundtrack as well but I just love I mean, I'll never get tired of Luke Cage just nonchalantly smacking a dude it's just yeah just smacking through the costume I think I think that's that's really really cool and it's really um, well acted as well by, by, by Mike Coulter yeah, I totally agree. I actually thought, so there's not a lot of action for sure, but what impressed me so much is that they found a very different way. I think there's a lot of like super strong superheroes, right? That's like the most basic power you can have. So I feel like we've seen, I've seen so many things, you know, Superman and Supergirl and Captain America and even like Iron Man, like, okay, they all sort of punch people, but this show chose to make Luke like super passive in his action scenes. And he's really more about defense than he is offense, which I thought was so compelling to watch. So it's not even that he, he'll kind of bat someone out of the way if they're really right in his face. But for the most part, he can just like go about his business, walk on down that hallway. It doesn't really matter if he's getting shot or not. And, and he's not like running and charging at people. And I thought that I've just found that so compelling to watch, particularly because I've seen so many superhero things, and for this to find a completely different, like, visual vocabulary for the powers, I just thought that was so cool. So even though there wasn't a ton of action, I found the stuff that they did have really compelling. See, I felt I, I thought that works a lot better in the kind of low-key action stuff. Um, the kind of the times where we're building up to a big, to a big like action sequence, like the final fight with Diamondback, I didn't think worked. And weirdly, this show's um, corridor sequence. Um, I was kind of I was sat on the side for watching this uh, with my other half, and I was like, "Oh, this is going to be awesome!" He's about to go into the building, and and then I kind of watched it. it was like, ah, "Yeah, it was okay." And sure. I don't know whether that might be fatigue of of the <laughs> like corridor fights from the other shows. Just, um, but I kind of I kind of preferred the um, I kind of preferred the kind of the low key moments where he is just like like with the two kids who are pointing their guns at Method Man in the store. That's the kind of stuff that I really liked, mm. um, and the kind of the interaction. That, that is, it works because he is a reluctant hero, but also because he has like it's almost so easy for him that the fighting isn't a concern. He's a bulletproof mm-hmm. guy who's super strong. Mm. It's like I yeah I'm not I don't want to do this. I'll do it if I have to. <laughs> Um, it's gonna, and so it's yeah, all of that stuff was was great. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens uh, in the, in the defenders because uh, at least in in the comics, the the hand, uh, the ninjas, they can't feel anything, or or they're like already half dead, so he can cut loose. But uh, but yeah, no, nah, I really enjoyed that. And yeah, to to your earlier point, just uh, when you're talking about Luke interacting with the locals, that's why I think. 
episode five is my favorite because it's mm. just, you know, at the start of the episode, you've got people coming to him sort of in trouble because cotton mouse people are sort of, uh, coming down on, on, on the Harlem townsfolk and they come to him with their problems. And he's just, obviously he, he, he just got the new suit for the funeral as well. So he's just striding about Harlem, taking care of business. And I had a massive smile on my face, uh, when he was doing all of that. It was great. Yeah, and no, I think you're right. I think that for me, the strongest stretch of the show is episodes four through seven. And um, yeah, that, that every time you mention something that happened in episode five, I'm like, yeah, yeah, actually, that was that was really great. And that you get the two of them kind of well, you get Cottonmouth grandstanding at the funeral at the funeral, and then Luke kind of just delivering it straight. And you kind of see these two different approaches to trying of trying to win the hearts and minds of. Um, of Harlem and that that weaves quite nicely together with Mariah's political campaign at that point of the show which is still active um and yeah that, I I don't think the show does really recover um but I'm on you mentioned you mentioned uh Defenders and I did want to talk about some of the little crossover bits and pieces in the show um, and we can talk about some of the stuff that we liked or disliked in terms of its crossovers with the other Marvel shows here um but what I wanted to ask you was how you both felt about the way that this interacts with Jessica Jones. Because I really liked the Reaver stuff, I mentioned that already, but it almost felt to me like that this should have been the show before Jessica Jones, and that we should have got Luke Cage first, and then then kind of after everything, all the shit goes down in Harlem, he kind of slinks off to Hell's Kitchen for a while and meets Jessica. Because it felt weird to me that that relationship, which felt so vibrant and crucial throughout all of Jessica Jones, that Jessica's sat in Harlem and presu- uh, in Hell's Kitchen and presumably seeing all this stuff on TV and going, huh, not interesting. <laughs> yeah, but that would be very Jessica, I feel like. Yeah. She's busy drinking, man. How good would it have been to have got that scene, just Jessica watching it and going... Oh, yeah, that would have been good. I I didn't really bother me. I think I've made peace with the idea that these Marvel things, like, you know, you're not going to get Iron Man just, well except for Civil War, but for the most part, you're not going to get Iron Man showing up in a Captain America movie. Like, they're, they're, they're sort of their own separate things. I get why this one doesn't want to delve into the, the sort of exact dynamics of the Jessica relationship. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think that that particularly bothered me. I The thing that was the most exciting to me was how much Claire is in this season, because I just think, I was actually just thinking this the other day, I think Claire Temple might be one of the best female characters on TV right now. I just think that the she's so realistic and grounded and sort of unlike the way I think women in superhero movies are like they're either the damsel in distress or they're the like flirty hyper competent black widow like I'm sexy and I can kill you thing and Claire just feels like a human being and that seems so rare um so I loved getting to spend so much time with her I thought she was so well used here and that was that was probably the most exciting crossover for me and she's super self-driven as well, isn't she? Like mm-hmm. she, her, her arc through this series is we get the like offhand reference to what happened in Daredevil, and then she's going, "But I think this is what I want to do." And she goes out and she does it. And so she is kind of like the proactive superhero almost in a way, while while Luke is the the one who's a little bit a little bit unsure of what to do. Um, uh, yeah. And she gets heroic moments of her own, which is which is pretty cool for a character who's not powered like the people around her are. Yeah. Um, okay. and yeah, you're right, Caroline. The way that she just does feel like a normal person in this universe. And um, I think um, it was a really smart move 
considering you've got Rosario Dawson, who is a fantastic actress in the first place, to just go, yeah, let's kind of use her for a total of 13 episodes across these, you know, four or five series of, of show before we get to Defenders. Um, and it'll be it'll be really cool seeing her kind of introducing them to each other. Because, you know, at the end where she's like, oh, I know a really good lawyer. And you're like, mm-hmm. yes, yes. I want to see. I want to see that courtroom scene. I want that to be the first episode of the Defenders, a courtroom scene where Matt Murdock is defending Luke Cage, mm-hmm. and Jessica's I... sat in the dock watching. <laughs> and yeah, and then I guess Iron Fist will come along at some point as well. Um, I completely agree with everything both of you guys just said. Plus one hundred on that on those comments. Um, the, <laughs> the, the only sort of. Uh, annoyance I had with Claire is that they've made her a love interest again and I would have rather Luke and Claire just remain friends um, mm. personally but everything else uh, with, with Claire I thought was, was fantastic I thought Isaiah Dawson did a fantastic job and as I say the, the fe- to have three female black female characters at that who are this well drawn I mean I think that's more than the, the entire rest of the MCU combined uh, so, you know, yeah. that's that's a major win for Luke Cage. I think I think that's probably the best thing about the show. I agree yeah, with what I... you said. Sorry, I agree with what you said about her as a love interest and, and that being slightly disappointing. Um, but what I did like was one of the kind of character beats of, or the, the characteristics of Luke Cage just being, he flirts with everyone. Like, he does flirt <laughs> with everyone. Yeah. <laughs> And he wants to get that coffee. With this cheeky little glint in his eye. It's not kind of <laughs> lecherous in any way. It's just kind of, hmm, well, let's see what happens. Like I just man- feel like by existing, my culture is just flirting with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> like the man said, if you got it, you got it. Unlike Carol's, like Caroline said, I just wanted him to hug me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry I, I cut you off there, Caroline. What were you about to say? No, no, you're fine. I, well, uh, so like you guys, I wasn't totally uh, totally i wasn't against it but i wasn't totally on board with the um luke claire relationship but somebody in the av club comments actually was pointing out sort of how well a how rarely you have women of color in sort of any really in anything but particularly in like action or superhero things and then b how infrequently they get to be the love interest in those things like we think of oh women are always just the love interest but actually that's not the case with with like black or Hispanic women. So through that lens, it actually is kind of progressive to make her the love interest. Mm. So I don't know. I thought that was a really good uh, thing that one of those commenters brought up and um, building on what Aman says, like when you have, when you look at the MCU, I'm pretty sure that the only women of color in the entire like film universe, you have Gamora, Zoe Saldana, and you have Helen Cho, who's a scientist in, um, yeah, who's green. Um, Helen Cho, who's a scientist in Age of Ultron, and then you have one of um, Black Panther's female bodyguards who's on screen for like 10 seconds. And And I think that that it's, yeah, (laughs) she does. Um, But I'm pretty sure that those are the only three women of color in all like 13 films, which is insane when you think about it. Like we always say like, oh, there's not enough women in these movies, but like, there's certainly not enough women of color. So yeah, I totally agree that that having this many awesome female characters and specifically black female characters is is like so worthy of praise. Like it, there's definitely a version of Luke Cage that doesn't do that and that the show paid that much attention to it, I think is is uh deserves so much kudos for that. And I do wonder whether the Luke Claire relationship exists maybe because comics because 
we kind of know that uh, uh, Matt Murdock and Karen is a kind of thing from the comics. Although she's going to be turning up in the Punisher now, so I wonder whether that's going to be um, a pivot there. Because I was, I think I'd been kind of rooting for, without realizing it, for Matt and Claire more than I'd ever been rooting for Matt and Karen. Mm-hmm. Um, Misty, I think, uh, becomes the uh, other half of uh, Iron Fist in the comics. Um, And I I think I was just surprised because uh, so much with Claire, because Luke and Jessica have been um, an item and have a kid together in the comics um, over the past five or ten years. And given how good they were together, it was... uh, yeah, it was a surprise that they went in that direction. And I wonder whether that might be the slight residual disappointment in terms of making Claire the love interest as well. It's like, ah, I think I just... I was shipping you all in other directions. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean... I have the same thing on the Flowerverse shows. I'm just like, I don't care. Like, I, I, Iris, I've grown to really like, um, but I would kind of like... Um, Barry to be with Felicity and then that would get Felicity out of Arrow and it would fix a whole bunch of things with that show, those shows. Um, Bye, maybe Felicity that's makes so this is why you have to start writing sense. fan fiction. You can make all of your dreams come true. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, hey. I mean, they're writing me a musical episode of Flash and Supergirl. So. <laughs> I would read your fan fic, Joe. I would, I, would, I would read that quick. Now, I was just going to say, following up on sort of an earlier point, It'll be really interesting to see. I mean, Iron Fist, it needs something to hook me. Because after Jessica Jones, I mean, got Jessica Jones, it's a super show, but it taught us a lot about sort of, um, you know, PTSD and rape culture and does all those things very well. Then you got Luke Cage, which is, you know, very unapologetically black, black. It gives you that black experience, which you don't really see, um, on this level that, you know, this, it was something very unique. Then you got Iron Fist and just nothing which I've seen um, from the trailers or anything is really hooking me in. And when you have sort of, you know, the great emphasis on female characters you have in Jessica Jones, the great emphasis on black characters you have in Luke Cage, and then you think of sort of the missed opportunities with casting and Iron Fist. Um, you know, it has- it, I'm on. Maybe it's going to be a meta commentary on whitewashing. <laughs> Hey. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, that sounds interesting. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. It's, well, we do it's... we do have in that show, we saw Claire Temple picking up the uh, flyer at the end, which was for, um, what's her name? Uh, Colleen Wynn. Colleen, Wing. right? Colleen Wynn's yeah. like, yeah. martial arts class. Um, she's going to be played by Jessica Henrik, um, who uh, she's she's been one of the Sand Snakes on Game of Thrones, so hopefully she will be freed from that terrible role. Um, <laughs> and she also briefly showed up on um, Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Um, but yeah, so, so she she there. will be she will be on um, Iron Fist, which I think is one of the things to look forward to because she in the comics I think as well has a bit of a partnership with Missy Knight. Those two kind of. Um, hook up of kind of like the female version of Luke Cage and Iron Fist's Heroes for Hire. Are they um, part of the sort of the Daughters of the Dragon? Uh, yes, I yeah. think that that sounds yeah. right. Yeah. I don't know an awful lot about it, but from my brief amount of Googling, that sounds like that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, obvi- and obviously, so that means that Claire's going to be over there in that show as well. Um, 
but yeah, you're right. It's at, at the moment, it's still a very tough sell for me. And one of the things that I found insane about this was, um, I think it was it was maybe at New York Comic Con or one of the recent conventions, and there was a picture with all of the Defenders characters together. They like took a selfie together. Um, and Mike Coulter said something like, oh, and this was the first time that I met Finn Jones. So that was really cool. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? You've got these two characters <laughs> who are surely going to be sharing an incredible amount of screen time together um, in first The Defenders and then probably series two of their solo shows. Um, because Mike Coulter has also said Heroes for Hire is something that's in the future for these characters. How have they not had screen tests and chemistry tests before they cast Finn Jones? Well, I mean, that's... your Iron Fist actor to be really good on screen with Mike Coulter. You think, but I mean, th- from what I've read of how Netflix are casting these things, that doesn't really surprise me because I know that Chiyo Hodari Koka, the show, the showrunner for Luke Cage, he, he didn't have any sh- any say in um, the casting of Mike Coulter. Um, well, yeah, I guess that was the, a Jessica that, Jones. That, that was a Jessica thing. Jones thing. So, and I'm sure, sort of. Um, he didn't have any input in sort of, you know, how, um, you know, Luke Cage and Iron Fist would sort of interact with each other when they were casting Iron Fist. So that doesn't really surprise me, although I, I do agree with you that, um, you know, it would have been better if they had met each other and had screen test and figured all that out before um, casting. And then maybe we would have got um, a different casting as well. Um for Iron Fist, because uh, there's I can't remember the name of the dude who's playing the villain, but I I've read that uh, Marvel were thinking of actually casting an Asian Iron Fist, and then they got cold feet, and then went with Game of Thrones dude. But yeah, as I say, I'm I, I I will watch it because I'm a massive fan of superheroes and everything else. But there's nothing really getting me pumped for Iron Fist right now. But we shall see. Caroline, what about you? Because you are going to be sitting down and watching them over a weekend. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. <laughs> we'll see if I can handle it. I've just been, I've literally just been shaking my head this whole, listening to you guys this whole conversation, because Iron Fist just feels like the least essential thing that has ever existed. Like, why, we already have Daredevil. Like, why do we need, why do we need Iron Fist? And we why, what is this bringing? Mm. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. I actually made a joking poll about this recently, like, which is least essential, Doctor Stranger I um, voted Iron in that Fist, poll. Because it feels like... <laughs> good. <laughs> What'd you vote for? I think I voted for Iron Fist. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I Mine was like slightly with Doctor Strange. It just feels like... So Marvel has been criticized for the lack of diversity thing mm. for... I mean, since since this thing started in 2008, right? So that's... You have eight years to sort of get your stuff together, figure out what you're doing. And the fact that they are still producing... I mean, yes, like to their credit, they have Jessica Jones and Luke Cage. And at some point... Black Panther and Captain Marvel, but that they're prioritizing that they're, it's not just that they're building on their existing franchises, right? It's not like they're like, okay, Thor is an existing character. We're going to keep making Thor movies that I understand, but they're like, they keep introducing new characters who are just white guys, right? Like you have Ant-Man, you have Dr. Strange, you have Iron Fist. Like you, it just feels like such a slap in the face when they sort of pretend to care about these things. And then clearly through their actions, they don't. Yeah. And so I just have a really hard time. Like Iron Fist, I think has just come to represent in my mind like everything wrong with Marvel, which isn't the best way to like <laughs> the best lens through which to judge a TV show. But it's certainly I will say to be somewhat optimistic. I will just say that it has an uphill battle to win me over, <laughs> and yeah. just leave it at that. I think um, 
I think there are extenuating circumstances between uh, behind some of the characters who have been introduced. So Ant-Man was a film that they'd been making for 10 years and um, then kind of had got too far along the line to jump ship by the time that Edgar Wright went away because it was basically an Edgar Wright passion project. And I think by the time you see Doctor Strange, you will probably see it. The character maybe doesn't feel hugely essential, but the stuff that it does to the Marvel Universe probably is key in the direction that they want to go. Um, yeah, but couldn't they have done that with someone that what, didn't well, look like Benedict Cumberbatch in the yeah, essential yeah, role? Ex- exactly. Um, <laughs> He's yeah, very good in the um, film. It's, it, uh, the, the, the problem is, it's, it, you can kind of you can kind of explain this stuff away on a kind of micro level, but when you take a step back at things and look at them on a macro level. Um, it doesn't start to look good, does it? You know, when you're pushing back your Captain Marvel movie and, um, you know, even even DC, whose movies don't look great, they've, you know, you look at that Justice League stood on a screen together and you go, that, that immediately looks better than um, in terms of representation than what Marvel have done. Mm. Um, One and thing... you would think the last thing that, the, that these Marvel shows need, especially after they went and did the Punisher and greenlit a Punisher show so quickly was to add Iron Fist to that Defenders team. that Or, or certainly a white, blonde Iron Fist to that Defenders team. Um, One thing I will say, I know that's sort of we're wagging on Marvel right now, but Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that show is very diverse. and That's a good point, and, and it often gets forgotten, too. And Even by uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually really, really good right now. The, the introduction of Ghost Rider has... No, I'd, I'd highly recommend it. Um, and Bobby, uh, Gabriel Luna is playing the, um, I think he's Mexican. Robbie, uh, the Mexican ghostwriter, Robbie Reyes is really, really good. And obviously you've got Ming-Na Wen, you've got, uh, Chloe Bennett as Sky, sorry, Daisy. Um, you have Mac in there as well. So yeah, that, that, that show is really good when it comes to diversity. I think that, I think that can be the problem with a lot of this still though, isn't it? It's that, it's that, you know, we, we've just talked about a show that is majority black characters, um, and you know we've talked about how uh, you know uh, certain other parts of the Marvel universe have had good representation at a lower level. Um, yeah, but it's it's not what they're selling these on, and that was that was what was refreshing about Jessica Jones is it was just a female lead of a superhero show, and this was Luke Cage was a black lead of a superhero show. Um, it feels like um, too often that these Marvel shows like like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is being sold or, or certainly was to begin with on Clark Gregg a 45 year old white guy you know um, I mean and I, I, I don't think it is fair to just rag on Marvel because this is this is kind of like I, I'm sure if you go across like all of the blockbusters that were released this well, summer um, uh Cough, cough, ghost in the shell, the Great Wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Great Wall in particular. I don't mind ragging just... on Marvel, though. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I love Marvel, but yeah, they, they do need to... It just um, seemed like such an easy way out with this. Re, rewrite Iron Fist as an Asian character. And it, it would be such a more interesting show within this universe, even. Just on, yeah. on that level of an Asian guy coming to New York mm. with these powers. And we get to look at the rest of this universe that they've established in Hell's Kitchen and Harlem through the eyes of an outsider. Or just make it an Asian-American character and you don't need to rewrite a single word. Like, literally just cast an Asian-American and have him do 
everything that Finn Jones is going to do. And I don't think it would necessarily, you know, need to, you wouldn't need to change anything then. Yeah, That's a free idea for you, Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a massive missed opportunity, and it just means that we're going to get more Asian sort of stereotypes. Who are just they're going to be the villains and ninjas, and yeah, yeah it's it's disappointing. It's, it's just more frustrating because it was right there in front of them, and they just. And that they've done so well leading yeah. up to this. And and it's not like Asian Americans like Marvel have a large sort of roster of Asian American characters. Iron Fist is probably their most high most high profile one, uh, which they could have sort of redone here and they just completely missed it. Which is a I massive shame. To take, to take all of this back to Luke Cage though, I mean, for all of my problems with the show and for all of the difficulty that I did have kind of watching thirteen episodes in a couple of weeks, um, I'm still glad this show exists for, for yeah. you know the the opposite of all the reasons we just said about um, Iron Fist because it, it it's it's important that this show exists and it's and it's great that Mike Coulter is the lead of a Netflix superhero series and that the show is dealing with um, black iconography and race issues surrounding race in twenty um, first century America and all of that kind of stuff and and exploring little pockets of black culture um and you you know that i can be watching this show as a white guy from the north of england and be going oh who's that music at or what does that phrase mean or and it's just it it makes it normal and it makes it the fact that a show like this exists makes it possible for you know it to next time it doesn't have to seem like a big deal you would hope um because uh, however much we, we are getting small pushes in the direction of diversity at the moment, it still does feel like this is the black superhero show and uh, mm-hmm. Black Panther is the black, pan- the black superhero movie and Captain Marvel is the female um, superhero movie. Um, so we need more of it, um, but this is... I, I think this is a very important first step because everything that it fumbles in terms of uh, plotting... As it goes along, it it kind of um, achieves all of the stuff that I just said it that I just said it it was able to do because they get that lead character right, and I think because they marketed the show very well as well. Sometimes that's important. Mm-hmm. And that first trailer was absolutely killer, and introducing yeah, Luke Cage through Jessica Jones was a good idea as well. Um, yeah, it was. And I, I do think I the first half of this season is really good. Like, it's worth saying that as much as we're ragging on all the... Like, I feel like all of our complaints are things that happen in the second half. Like, the, if you were to just watch the first, like, five or six of these, uh, like, that's a great... That's a great first, and in my opinion at least, like, a first five or six episodes. I really, really enjoyed those. So there are definitely weaknesses in the second half, but I don't want to let those, like, outweigh the things that work so well in the beginning, particularly. Mm. Absolutely, and I hope the show course corrects and goes and looks at a season two and says, "Diamondback wasn't very successful. Let's ignore that hanging thread that we had at the end, and let's just have a let's have a season where it is Mariah and Luke, and see how that plays off in this community, and dig deeper into some of the issues that we explored in the first half of this show, and let's resurrect Quantum Mouth just because it's a superhero show. <laughs> <laughs> they've got that they've got that coffin thing, so they can." I repeat, oh, yeah. I will read your fanfic, Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
They brought Electra back. They can bring Cottonmouth back. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. You know the other thing that I feel like I always take for granted with these Netflix shows? They are beautiful. Like, the cinematography is stunning. I will take a lot of screen caps when I write my reviews, and I swear, like, every time I pause my computer, it looks like a painting. Like, And, and I find that I just sort of like, oh, yeah, they look nice, but... I mean, compared to something like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I don't think has this attention at all to sort of the cinematography mm. and, and the look um, mm. of the show, I just think all of these are so beautiful. And Luke Cage in particular, I think Jessica Jones and Daredevil, like, they're very dark, and they're sort of, like, rich, but, like, cool tones. So, like, a lot of, like, blood reds and blues mm. and stuff, whereas Luke Cage is super warm and, like, warm teals and yellows, and it feels very saturated. So it it looks different than um, Jessica Jones and Daredevil, but it still has that same, like, gorgeous attention to cinematography. And you think about, like, the very on-the-nose, but I think cool framing of Cottonmouth sort of with the biggie portrait behind Mm. him and the crown, so it looks like it's on his head. Like, just things like that, as sort of unsubtle as they are, I think are just really stunning to look at. Yeah, the the color palettes of these shows, when you think of Daredevil, you think of blacks and reds, don't you? And when you think of Jessica Jones, you're thinking of um, purples and whites and blues, I think. Mm-hmm. And when you're thinking of this, you are. You're thinking of yellows and oranges and, yeah, teals and those kind of... Um, it's it's effective. Um, and, yeah, I, I think, yeah, you're right. It's it's something that I, I don't... I think all of the network um, TV superhero shows don't have that same mm-hmm. that same artistry on that regard i have one more thing to mention and like i said off off air i almost forgot but there's a really cool cameo by trish uh on luke cage which is really awesome there's a the trish starts, talk. yeah trish talk um can't remember what episode uh it's in but it was really fun to hear her voice again i'm looking forward to seeing her in the defenders hopefully in a hellcat costume yeah yeah, I like. I really like Trish. I, I, I think I. I think I was very positive on her in Jessica Jones, wasn't I, Caroline? I can't remember. I think I. Was. I don't remember. Probably. <laughs> She's the best. Like, she, she reminds me of Rosamund Pike in Gone Girl, and that can only be. Oh a good thing. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Those are the little cameos that I want more of too. Like you know, I understand that there's contracts and and stuff, but it is the sort of thing where you're like, oh, you just want Foggy to, like, be walking through the police department when something's happening, or this is on the radio. Like, if in a perfect world, we could just have a million of those, and I thought they used Trish so well here. Anytime Claire said, my lawyer friend, I'm like, please get Matt Murdock on the cage. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Anytime she said it, I was just like, just do it, just do it. That's great. The the, um, (laughs) references across the Marvel's Netflix shows to the Marvel movies, though, not good. Ah, there's only yeah. so many times you can call him the guy with the hammer or the big green guy. Are you actually not allowed to use the superhero names? What's that about? I've got footage of the incident. The incident. <laughs> yeah, we get it. Just. Uh, I did like his that guy's plan to film Luke Cage doing things and then sell the DVDs, though, because he said 4K for 4K, and I thought that was a really funny way to put it. <laughs> I quite enjoyed that. Uh, he, he's like a modern-day Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, is there anything else that you guys wanted to mention about the show before we uh, before we wrap things up, or anything that you want to see from these characters across Iron Fist and the Defenders, both of which I think we'll probably be getting next year? Hashtag bring Method Man back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they should just have Method Man rap about all of the individual Defenders. 
yeah, that would be cool. You should just be their, like, official hype man. I, I will just say the cast, just across the board, is amazing. Like, I thought Frankie Faison as Pop was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the Bobby Fischer guy. I thought, if anything, the show could use more humor, and he was always a good source of, like, a little bit of comic relief. Also, Alfre Woodard should just be in literally everything, because I think she's the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and Shades, too, who we didn't talk about. I thought just across the board, like, there were really, really solid performances from probably everyone but Diamondback. <laughs> Um, is the running Shades theme here, but really irritating in the first half of the season. He was one of the elements of the second half that I did like. I, I yeah. was so into the Shades Mariah relationship. Me too. Uh, like yeah. uh, in a way that I didn't know that I was until it happened. <laughs> but I liked yeah. I liked that so much more than him, kind of, because he didn't really feel like he had a reason for being there early on. Um, felt like just a completely useless character, and then I, I did kind of like him towards uh, more and more towards the end. Um, yeah, no, I I will second you, Caroline, on uh, Frankie Faison as Pops. Um, he he makes a lot of clunky dialogue sound very authentic and genuine, mm-hmm. and just it brings, brings a lot of warmth and dignity to that role, which really um, he's only he's only in it for a couple episodes, but when he dies, it really does hit. Because of uh, because of that relationship between between him and Luke Cage, and that's really well established by by Frankie. Yeah, yeah, and I'm just I'm just trying to think if there was anyone else that I particularly liked that we um, that we haven't mentioned. Um, I I um, I quite liked Scarf. Oh, I did not like him. Well, just, I liked I liked him, but I also felt like I'd seen that character three times already in the Marvel shows. So that yeah, that was an issue. And again, Reva, um, I I wanna I wanna see more of that. I want that was that was the kind of that was the backstory of Luke that I wanted more of. Yeah, less of the uh, less of the what happens when you put more acid on his skin. You know who I love is Turk. Oh, that was that was, um, was in. Uh, he's been in like a couple Daredevil like little cameos, mm-hmm. and he gets a little more to do here. I yeah. think he's so like I really I really like liked him in Daredevil, and so to see him pop up again, I was so excited. Yeah, yeah. and his yeah. and his little things about ah, oh, it's not it's not as crazy as this over in Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah, that was pretty great. Um, okay, well, I think that brings our Luke Cage discussion to an end. Um, guys, thanks so much for joining us. Um, who wants to go first with uh, plugging your work on the internet, your Twitter accounts, and and assorted internet goodness? <laughs> Ladies first. I'll go. Um, you can find me. <laughs> I'm at Caroline Sita on Twitter. That's probably the best place to find me. Um, otherwise, you can, like Joe said, you can find my stuff at the AV Club. And just elsewhere. I'm always lurking somewhere on the internet. I'm on. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at a woman. And uh, you can find my stuff on YouTube. Uh, my channel name is Amonymous. And uh, I also have a, a website, amonymousblog.com. And I believe you've also got a Luke Cage recommendation. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I've read the Luke Cage in the... Uh, comics uh in the avengers comics before but i've also come across him in uh an animated cartoon because obviously my recommendation is an animated thing you should know this by now joe um <laughs> but uh yeah there's a cartoon called avengers earth's mightiest heroes which was unfortunately cancelled after two seasons because it was pretty great um uh, but luke cage and iron fist heroes for hire actually appear in a couple of episodes and they're very 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 great um I cannot remember which ones off the top of my head, but uh, it's in season two. 
Um, I'm guessing, I think it's like episode 21. Um, but yeah, they, both of those heroes appear and, uh, they're, they're, they're a lot of fun. So I seek them out. Excellent. Okay. I'll have a, I'll have a look for that. I think, was that on Netflix at some point, that show? I think it's on Netflix right now. It's either on Netflix or on Amazon, one of those things. But, uh, yeah, seek it out. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's only 20 minutes too. Uh, and I'm just looking that Luke Cage and Iron Fist uh, look like they appear in the episodes um, episode two, uh, sorry episode five of season two, which is called "To Steal an Ant Man." Oh yeah, and, that's the one. Uh, Luke Cage also pops up in the episode entitled "New Avengers," which is episode twenty-three of season two. Damn it. There we go. <laughs> well, fantastic. Thanks for that, Amon. And thanks to you both for joining us for this bonus episode. Um, I'm not going to do the usual sp- spiel um, because this is a bonus episode and you don't want to hear it. Um, so thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.